0: Oh, sweet Jesus, I just thank you for this privilege to come into your presence just now. And I'm asking that you would pour out a rich blessing upon us this evening, and that we would sense you here, that we would sense you speaking to our hearts, and that you would remind us of our first love, Lord, that we would cease forgetting where we came from. I pray, as Moses prayed, that you would show us your glory, O now. And I ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Why many have left, um, my burden is to address a topic that is my newfound passion. I'm head over heels in love with a man named Jesus, but there is a specific aspect of the gospel that I've come to realize we were actually told that we should be telling alongside the and I'd like to share that with you this evening. But I'd like to begin with the best advice I've ever received in ministry, and it was from Taj Pakleb, and I wish he was here this evening. Um, I was speaking with him at ASI earlier last year in, in August, and I asked him the question I ask everybody I get a chance to speak to who are speakers and have done this a lot longer than I have. What is the advice that you wish you would have received when you started knowing what you know now? And instead of answering my question directly, Taj began to tell me a story. He said, there's this man at the Pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, and he's been an invalid for 38 years, he's the most helpless case there, and when Jesus comes up to the guy, he asks him, do you want to be made well? I think we owe the answer to that question. But then Jesus gives the man a command. He says, to rise, to take up his mat, and to walk. And the point that Taj made to me was that two of these things make sense, and one of them doesn't. Rising makes sense, and walking makes sense, but what's with the mat? Like, this mat literally is just a reminder of 38 years of rejection, of abandonment, of shame, of hopelessness, and loneliness. So why would he tell him to pick that up? It's just a reminder of all this horrible background and a history that this man has had in his experience. And then Taj went in. He says that's exactly the point. What Jesus is basically telling the man is to not forget where he came from. (laughs) Rocked me. Right there in the exhibit. No, it was in an elevator, I think. I forget where it was. And it was a beautiful truth to me. Hit me hard. It was the best advice that I could have received. To not forget where I came from. And the counsel that he gave me reminds me of two stories in Scripture that I'd like to cover with you this evening. Uh, Two people's stories, I should say, that they contrast in an interesting way. They actually converge at the feet of Jesus. Kind of two opposite stories, but they converge at the feet of Jesus. The first is Simon the Leper, and the second is Mary Magdalene. And Simon is basically this religious leader who contracts leprosy. Now, that's a bad day, right? Any day that you contract leprosy, it's not starting off well. It's a really bad day. But the cost is very high because this man is isolated now. He can't be with his family. He's completely deprived of any form of intimacy, right? No hugs, no handshakes, no closeness. He's in exile now. He has to live in exile. And the belief in that day was that whenever you contract leprosy, it's a divine curse from God. Well, what do you do when you're a religious leader, a ministry leader who's now viewed by the people as being cursed by God. He's lost his public ministry. He's lost access to this. But yet Jesus, in his great mercy, miraculously heals this man and restores his ministry. And what a blessing if you've ever been in a situation like that. The thought that comes to my mind most recently was the story of Steve Wahlberg, if you've heard what happened to him. that uh, In the early first half or late first half of last year came down with heavy depression, anxiety and panic attacks, was hearing voices and discouragement, and was just horrible. He couldn't sleep. I ended up having to take sleeping pills to get to sleep, and that caused a whole nother problem. Was it just a difficult situation, and he was fully convinced he would never be in ministry ever again. And by the grace of the Lord Jesus, he went to the Nedley Institute, uh, was treated very, very wonderfully there... ...and is in a different condition now than he was when he went there. And they found out more of the reasons why. And Anyways, a great story of redemption. When you hear the story he shares in audio verse, he's weeping as he tells the story... ...because he was sure that he would never be in front of God's people ever again. And God restored his ministry. So imagine how Simon must have felt, right? But then you had the story of Mary who was sexually abused as a young person, which led her into even harder, difficult situations, she ends up having a lifestyle of sexual sin that she also is basically viewed as an outcast in the small community of Bethany. Bethany is kind of like uh, the intro to the, the, the show Cheers, which most of you young people will have no idea what I'm talking about. But they say, we want to go where everyone knows your name, or something like that. Everyone knows your name in Bethany. Everyone knows your business there. And yet Jesus, in his great mercy, sets this woman free as well. It seems that it takes some time and multiple efforts, but this woman ends up finding great, great freedom because of Jesus. So, eventually there's a feast that's going to be held in honor of Jesus for two main reasons. One, for Simon's healing and restoration. He's the one hosting it. But the second is for Lazarus. Um, Lazarus is a family member and he's a famous figure in this community now because he kind of like died and stuff and Jesus wrote him from the dead, right? He rose him from the dead. But this, this resurrection was even more significant than the others. Resurrections are amazing, but this one was even more significant because there was a view amongst the Jews who kind of inherited uh, pagan Greek views when it comes to the state of the dead, that the soul doesn't actually leave the body for three days is what they believed. And they hated Jesus so much that the resurrections that he had performed could potentially come into question, because they fell in that window with three days, right? The raising of um, the, my mind just went blank, that's crazy. Anyway, the the widow's son and Jairus' daughter. So those are within that window, so they weren't really dead. I mean, they were only dead for 24 hours or whatever. Just the hatred towards Jesus was so strong that this is how they respond But the raising of Lazarus is more significant because Lazarus was dead for how long? Four days outside of that window, well beyond it. And it's this powerful witness. It's such a powerful witness that now the Jewish leaders not only want Jesus dead, but they're now realizing we're going to have to kill Lazarus too because too many people are believing in Jesus because of this guy. Just amazing, isn't it? So... Then someone shows up to this feast uninvited, and she completely steals the show. It's found in Mark chapter 14, and I'm going to have some of the text up on the slides here. But if there's a feast being held, there's music involved, there's large gatherings, and, you know, lots of talking, it's going to be a very loud event, but there's something that happens that kind of just makes the record stop and causes people to pay attention. So in Mark chapter 14, it says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as Jesus sat at the table... A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And then she broke the flask and poured the oil on Jesus' head. She, this is a, a token of her gratitude for what Jesus has done to set her free. But there were some there who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil, and what's the next word they use? Wasted. Wasted. Just imagine, this woman's given everything she has for Jesus, and they have the audacity to say that it's a waste to give such a precious gift to Jesus. Why was this wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. Now, is it the poor that they're really worried about? Who's the person that starts this statement? It's Judas someone who uh, had a habit of borrowing from the offering plate. And not only does Judas cause this problem, but the disciples are, are kind of catching this. It's kind of contagious. So she's accused of being wasteful by giving all that she has for Jesus. I don't know if you've been in a situation like this, that when you're giving everything you got for Jesus, people around you don't seem to understand or appreciate it, and they get on your case about it. You ever been there? Mary has, but the interesting thing is, What they don't seem to understand is that Mary literally is the only person in the room and seemingly in Jesus' ministry who really seems to get it. She actually understands that Jesus is about to die. And she doesn't fully understand why she's given this offering now, but she bought this offering for Jesus' burial. She knows he'll die. She believes that. The disciples are wrestling with believing this. She seems to actually be one of the few people who actually gets it And she's giving it to him now instead of when he's dead and buried. And we'll find out more here in just a moment. But Jesus sees that this woman gets it. And he responds to the murmuring. He responds and says, leave her alone. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. You ever been harassed for doing a good work for Jesus? Because it's not the way that the people around you would like for it to be done. It's not quite pretty. Right? You're making a fool of yourself, lady. What are you doing? Right? When, when you give everything to Jesus, it's supposed to look a certain way. Your posture is supposed to be a certain way. They say, for the poor you have with you always, Jesus says. She's done a good work for me. The poor you've had with me always, and that's really what you're worried about. But me, you don't. I'm not going to be around always. She's done what she could. She's come beforehand to anoint my body for burial, And assuredly I say to you that wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial, not to me, but to her. Something about this woman getting it is so impactful to Jesus. Because Jesus is having this experience where no one really seems to understand this guy, really, the family doesn't fully understand him. His disciples don't fully understand him. Heaven understands, but the people he's come to serve and save don't seem to, but she does. And it warms Jesus' heart, and he says, fellas, leave her alone. She's done a good work for me. Leave her be. But this isn't the only murmuring that ends up happening. We find another version of this in Luke chapter 7. Turn it to me there, would you? Luke chapter 7 And it begins in verse 36. But this woman is weeping at the feet of Jesus. She wets them with her tears and dries them with her hair. And then anoints his feet with this fragrant oil. And this fragrance fills the room so that now everyone who's enjoying this party all of a sudden stops. And their nose is telling them that something's going on here. Something's requiring my attention. The whole house goes quiet. And everyone's looking at this lady and thinking, what's this lady about? What is it that she's got going on? And when this woman humbles herself at the feet of Jesus and garners everyone's attention, she also awakens the frustration and just the... It's just amazing, really, to Simon. He doesn't understand it. And he says, Now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet... Now, the fact that he's questioning the identity of Jesus reminds me of Matthew and Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness, right? If you are the Son of God throw yourself down, you know, or, uh, you know, cause these stones to become bread or whatever. And it's very similar to what happens at the cross. If you're the son of God, save yourself and us. So if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, I find this interesting for a few reasons. One, he's actually one of the primary causes for this woman's lifestyle. Two... He's implying that you know God doesn't really want anything to do with dirty people. With people whose life is just a mess. They can't get anything right. The outcasts of society, the peasants, the people who have just sin and foolishness going on in their experience. God doesn't really like them. He doesn't want to touch them, doesn't want to be near them. This is the impression that this man has, and he's a religious leader, but this is the view that he has. He doesn't understand that Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to minister to the lowly. He was a humble servant who was willing to give of himself. Totally misunderstands the mission in the heart of God. But the other interesting thing is here is that what this woman is doing is what Simon should have done. In this culture, when someone is a guest in your home, you're supposed to be the person that serves them, right? Who anoints them, who washes their feet, who greets them with a kiss. But for whatever reason, Simon seemed to have lost sight of how precious it was to have Jesus in his life and in his home. He seems to have just forgotten. And so Jesus reminds him of this in verse 40. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? "'Simon answered and said, "'I suppose the one whom he forgave more.' "'And he said to him, "'You have rightly judged.' "'And then he turned to the woman "'and said to Simon, "'Do you see this woman? "'I entered your house, "'and you gave me no water for my feet. "'But she's washed my feet with her tears "'and wiped them with the hair of her head. "'You gave me no kiss, "'but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet "'since the time I came in. "'You did not anoint my head with oil.' But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And this is a bit of a veiled rebuke to Simon. Because Simon saw his need little. And in turn confessed and acknowledged little. And in turn was forgiven little not recognizing that all of us are broken, all of us need Jesus, right? This man had totally lost sight of where he came from, and it caused a lot of problems. And then those who sat at the table with him said to themselves, Who is this man who can even forgive sins? And then Jesus said to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I believe the reason why Simon did not perform this cultural norm for Jesus For washing his feet and anointing him is because Simon forgot where he came from. He forgot where Jesus delivered him from. And in turn, he feels no obligation to serve Jesus. He lost sight of how precious it was to have Jesus in his heart, in his home, and in his life. And Simon lost a blessing. You missed it, son. You missed it. You missed a blessing here. And I think one evidence of us losing sight of where we come from is when we're willing to condemn somebody else for giving all that they have for Jesus, even if it ain't pretty. There may be someone who walks into your church or someone has an experience where they don't know what you know. They don't understand all the ins and outs. But when they give everything they got to Jesus, it ain't pretty. right? It doesn't look the way that you would want for it to look. But if these people are giving Jesus everything they got with what they know, leave them alone. He's glad to receive it. And another evidence, I think, of our unwillingness is our unwillingness to humble ourselves to the feet of Jesus. He really didn't see the need. Just imagine, Jesus walks into his home and he just seems to ignore the guy. Someone else, the city outcast, has to be the one that serves Jesus. But I think that's another evidence. When we find ourselves in situations that we just don't feel like humbling ourselves... We don't feel like serving. It's probably another good evidence of the fact that we've forgotten where we came from, how good God has been to us and what he's delivered us from. So when you see somebody making a fool of themselves by giving Jesus whatever they have, leave them alone. He's glad to receive it. And I guarantee you, if they're in a situation where they're coming close to Jesus, he's going to tell them the right ways and the wrong ways. But when they're giving everything they have with what they know, leave them be. He's glad to receive it. But I see that Mary does remember where she comes from. And this is why she gives everything she has for Jesus. There's no offering that could be sufficient to give him in her mind. It's the best she could give. Simon forgot where he came from and that's why he did nothing for Jesus. And he lost track of the honor that he had and the privilege that he had. And you know, I've found that the moments where I don't feel like giving of myself for Jesus and for His people and service are those moments where I've forgotten where I came from. You ever been there? I've been in an experience for the last two years of just darkness, and I'm just starting to come out of it, of depression. It was very difficult to get out of bed in the mornings. I did. I used to be able to wake up very early to commune with God. And I didn't stop praying. I didn't stop reading. I didn't stop doing ministry. I didn't stop preaching or giving Bible studies. I knew to keep doing these things. But I was just dealing with this oppression, with this darkness and hardship. And even in the midst of that time, I feel so ashamed of myself now because in those moments, even in those moments of not being who I wanted to be and losing sight of where I came from, I was not the man that Jesus got a hold of in the fall of 2004. Even in those moments, I was a different man. And I feel ashamed of myself that I forgot where I came from. I lost sight of how precious Jesus had been to me. And even in that moment, I was not the same man. I lost sight of that. And I don't know if you've had those situations or not, but this is why I was so grateful for what Chad shared this morning. I think that we as people who most of us never asked for this, to be in front of people, to be public speakers, I think it's of immense value for us to be willing to be vulnerable with the people that we're ministering to. And that includes parenting, it includes teaching, pastoring, whatever your role may be. Vulnerability is not a weakness, it's a strength. And the story that was mentioned this morning, that Robert Robinson, I think was his name, He forgot where he came from. He penned these gorgeous words about the grace of God, but in his darkness and discouragement, he lost sight of all of it. It can happen. It can happen to any of us. We're so prone. And this is one of the reasons why I believe people do go for the doors. They lose sight of how sweet Jesus has been to them. They've lost their first love, like the church at Ephesus. They don't understand their need, like the Laodicean church. This is what's causing many of our people, I think, to stumble. And to wrestle in their experience. And I also believe that this is why many people find themselves idle in their Christian experience. And yet, sometimes we'll have a whole lot of commentary to give about the people for what they are doing or what they're not doing. While we ourselves are idle. And if we find ourselves in those critical positions, I would encourage us to stop, to self-reflect and ask the question... Have I forgotten where I came from? Because this can change. This critical spirit that we may find amongst ourselves, that can change by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And I'm so glad for that. So I don't know where you find yourself this evening. Maybe the story of Mary resonates with you, that you're giving what you have for Jesus and no one seems to understand you or appreciate you. My counsel to you is to not forget where you came from. It's your saving grace. Maybe it's the story of Simon that resonates with you, kind of like what I've had to wrestle with, that you just lost sight of how precious it is to sit and weep at the feet of Jesus and to have him in your home and in your life. And my counsel to you is exactly the same. Don't forget where you came from. Mary's offering is to be mentioned wherever the gospel is preached. You ever wondered why? What I'm about to read to you has been one of the most beautiful statements I've read from the pen of inspiration and heartbreaking statements I've ever read from the pen of inspiration. This is from Desire of Ages 565. The loneliness of Christ. And immediately we have to stop. You ever been lonely? I have. The loneliness of Christ some of us assume that Jesus' experience just got bad in the last week. Then it was bad. It was, uh, it was all right, you know, for the first part, but just the last week was bad. If you read Desire of Ages, Jesus' experience was one of suffering from stem to stern. He wasn't understood. He just felt like he just didn't fit in. But she says the loneliness of Christ, separated from the heavenly courts, the only people who do seem to understand him, and he separated from them, living the life of humanity. Listen to this was never understood or appreciated by the disciples as it should have been. And Jesus was often grieved because his disciples did not give that which he should have received from them. And I assure you the fact that Jesus weeps just as profoundly and strongly today. Because I don't give Jesus what he deserves. Jesus deserves far better than I have given him. Far better. And I'm ashamed of myself for that. And it brings grief to him that he doesn't receive from us the things that are just practical and reasonable. Praise, adoration, and service. We treat him like Simon did. Hey Jesus, how you doing? So anyway, and we go on with our lives. We do not appreciate Jesus as we ought. And it brings grief to him. Because we've forgotten where we came from. We've forgotten our first love. We've forgotten how precious and sweet it is to have Jesus, the almighty king, in our hearts, our homes, and our lives. And he wants that to change today. You're not who you think you are. And neither am I. And we have to be reminded of this this evening. He knew that if they were under the influence of the heavenly angels that accompanied him, they too would think no offering of sufficient value to declare the heart's spiritual affection. And this is why he was so off-put by them insulting someone else who's giving everything they have for Jesus. We bring him that same grief when we get chippy with our brethren because of how they worship him. Mary's offering is to be mentioned wherever the gospel is preached. Why? Because we're prone to not get it. And we're prone to forget it. And he wants to remind us, with the preaching of the gospel, the Laodicean message. You're not who you think you are. You've forgotten where you came from. And here's the example of someone who actually got it and lived it out. This lady's story is amazing. She's not only present there and gets it. She's present at the cross. She's there. She understands, but it gets better. Her getting it was a fragrant reminder to Jesus through every step of his sufferings that somebody is going to appreciate what I'm going through right now. Because the devil is continually tempting Jesus. No one appreciates you. No one cares. You're wasting your time, man. Why bother Jesus? Just walk and leave these people. And he could have. But there's something about you That gives Jesus the intrinsic motivation to keep going, even when he senses that we don't get it, we don't appreciate it, and we forget where we come from. But it certainly helps to know that somebody's going to get it and appreciate it, and she does. When all seem to reject Jesus in his time of need, one whiff of this fragrant offering that she put on his body reminds Jesus that someone's going to respond, and it's going to be worth it even if it's just for her. Even if she's the only one, he would do it. He knew that he was loved and appreciated and that his suffering would be worth the cost. She has no idea how profound this gift is to Jesus. Has no clue. She could have given Jesus a card. Thank you, Jesus. Love, Mary. She could have given Jesus... We don't do jewelry. I don't know what she could have given. Right? Right? A gift card. She could have done something, but she gives him a gift that will be present with him at every step of the journey. He can smell this offering. And Jesus' offering is meant to be a perpetual reminder to you and I in our darkest moments so that we don't lose sight of where we came from. But she continues, Ellen White does. Desire of Ages 560.2. The fragrant gift which Mary had thought to lavish upon the dead body of the Savior. She poured upon his living form, and at the burial its sweetness could only have pervaded the tomb, but now it gladdened his heart with the assurance of her faith and love. But Mary, pouring out her love upon the Savior while he was conscious of her devotion, was anointing him for the burial, and as he went down into the darkness of his great trial, he carried with him the memory of that deed, and earnest of the love that would be his from his redeemed ones forever." This is literally a foreshadowing to Jesus that other people will respond. It's not just her Jesus. Other people will respond. And this is what keeps him going. Mary knew not the full significance of her deed of love. She didn't understand. She could not answer her accusers. And neither can we. And we don't have to because Jesus is willing to stand and to tell them, leave them alone. Let him be your advocate. Let him silence your accusers. Don't worry about them. He silenced her accusers. She couldn't answer them. She could not explain why she had chosen that occasion for anointing Jesus. Here's why. The Holy Spirit had planned for her, and she had obeyed his promptings. Inspiration stoops to give no reason. An unseen presence, it speaks to mind and soul and moves the heart to action It is its own justification. Christ told the meaning of her act, and in this he gave her more than he had received. In that she hath poured this ointment on my body, he said, she did it for my burial. And as the alabaster box was broken, and filled the whole house with its fragrance, so Christ was to die, his body was to be broken, but he was to rise from the tomb, and the fragrance of his life was to fill the earth." This is why Paul says we did this in Ephesians 5, 2. Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Then listen to what Jesus says. Verily I say unto you, Christ declared, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also shall be preached uh, that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial to her. And this is the commentary we're given. Looking into the future, the Savior spoke with certainty concerning his gospel. This literally means that when we're preaching the gospel, we're supposed to tell her story. This wasn't optional. There's a component of the Laodicean message and our proneness in our flesh to forget the goodness of God that we need this aspect, not just the cross. We should be preaching both. We're told by Jesus, independent of inspiration. It was to be preached throughout the world, and as far as the gospel extended, Mary's gift would shed its fragrance, and hearts would be blessed through her unstudied act. Kingdoms would rise and fall. The names of monarchs and conquerors would be forgotten. But this woman's deed would be immortalized on the pages of sacred history. You think she asked for that? You think that's why she did this, for the recognition? That's why she could be recognized. She just wanted to show Jesus, I get it, I remember what you delivered me from, and this is the least I can do. It's everything I have, and it's the least that I can do. Until time should be no more, that broken alabaster box would tell the story of the abundant love of God for a fallen race. She did not know that her offering was an object lesson of the undying love of Jesus. But just think about this, guys. God literally, remember, the Holy Spirit planned for her. God literally used this woman, who the people in the community want nothing to do with. Even a religious leader wants nothing to do with. God uses her to minister to Jesus. Just like last night when we talked about Elijah and Moses. God is using people to minister to the needs of Jesus. We're going to talk about another one on Sabbath morning. Someone else being sent to minister to Jesus. I love this. He has so much faith in this woman that no one else had faith in, and she thrives. And her gift still speaks today by the grace of God because she followed the call of God in her life. I think it's amazing. Your offering can bring Jesus that same level of satisfaction and love. Give him what you got, give him what you can. It brings joy and gladness to his heart. And this is why he wants her story told. But you know what the beautiful thing is? Her story can be your story. It doesn't just have to be hers. It took her multiple encounters with the grace of Christ to be set free and to finally get it. But once she did, she was a force to be reckoned with. So if you feel this evening that you've messed up too many times and that you can't come back, You can. You can bring your offering of gratitude to the feet of Jesus, and I assure you, He will be glad to receive it. Amen? Her story can indeed be your story. And my question to you this evening is, have you forgotten where you came from? Have you lost sight of how precious it is to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus And to just give him what you got. Does he even matter to you anymore? Or is he just some aspect of your daily schedule? At best. And and in reality, he's just part of your weekly schedule. You get in the car, you give the happy Sabbath, and you head on your way. Is your story like that of Simon's? Jesus has radically transformed your life. You are on the brink of death and exile. Jesus saved your soul... And you find yourself today losing sight of all of it. It Does he really do anything for you? You hear stories about Jesus, and he seems like this foreign figure that is of historical significance. If that's your story, the grace of Christ is amazing, and it's available to you this evening. The fragrant offering of his sacrifice can be something to awaken to you the beauty of what's available. And he wants to know this evening, are you willing to give it another go? Are you willing to confess and acknowledge the fact that you've forgotten where you came from, that you aren't who you think you are, and that you have desperate need of something that you can't provide for yourself? We're told, in the Faith I Live By, 111, it's in the 1888 materials as well, that what is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust, and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. And when men see their nothingness, then they're prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Have you lost sight of your nothingness this evening? If you have, that can change, amen? Hopefully this evening, this reminder of this woman's story can can stir something in our hearts and, and recognize that There's something better. Maybe you find yourself like I did, that Jesus deserves better than I've given him. That can change. So what I'd like to do is invite those who are coming up for our closing music to come. But I want you to take some time for introspection as they're playing music to just reflect, where am I right now? Am I who I think I am? Have I lost sight of that true reality that I need Jesus There's nothing good in me. I've failed in many, many fashions in my experience. And chiefly in forgetting just how precious and sweet Jesus is. We can lay that at his feet this evening, amen? We can come home and we can be transformed by the power and the grace of Christ Jesus. God in heaven, I ask first and foremost that you would forgive us for losing sight of where we came from. Of not giving you what you deserve. And Lord, we've seen this evening that it brings grief to you when you don't receive that which is due you from us. Praise, adoration, and service. And Lord, I just pray that through a message that I wish could be communicated more clearly than I feel I have this evening, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, that you would speak clearly to our consciences, and that we would see the things that you need us to see, and that you would mold and shape us in the people you'd have for us to be. But above all, we want to see Jesus in a response to the cross to see our true condition, our true need. And Lord, we want to fall at your feet and receive from you what only you can give. So I pray now as we take this time to search our hearts, to confess to you, Lord, that you would minister to us in a very special, special way. And that time begins now. Thank you that in the presence of Jesus is joy evermore, and I pray now that you would open our eyes to how we can share what it is that we're coming to learn over the course of this week with the people in our sphere of influence to share with them the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. And God, I pray that you would be with what's going to be shared throughout the remainder of this weekend as we continue to search our hearts and realize how you've dealt with us when we've run when we stumbled and when we failed, that you're still pursuing us, you still love us, and you have something better to offer us than we're currently seeking for ourselves. So Lord, I choose to receive that this evening afresh, and I pray that for each of us. Cover our sins, I pray, Lord, with the blood of Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and protect us as we leave this place this evening. We ask these things now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.